So, Dr. Kuntz, yeah, yeah. What's this deal with the great not-greenness of wind turbines, that is, windmills and electricity? I live in Illinois. There's lots of these things. Right. There's something very ungreen about them and birds. Uh, well, there's, yeah, let's start there. There's a lot of very ungreen things about them. And the reason that we're starting there is because they encapsulate so much that is wrong in the way that people think about nature and especially how the government and business and stuff organize the discussion around what is called in a very sterile way, the environment. Because wind turbines kill hundreds of thousands of migrating birds and also non-migratory birds every year. And the official solution that's been adopted for this, besides sometimes trying to paint them a different color so that the birds like know where things are, is asking people that operate wind turbines to turn them off at times of high migration for birds. I mean, it's just kind of like, it's lazy, you know, if they actually cared, they just wouldn't put them up there because we wouldn't then be slaughtering the birds that are left in the United States. I mean, we, we've killed plenty in the past. We've extinguished entire species. And now what the, the great irony is that wind turbines are supposed to be so good for the environment, but here they are just slaughtering uh, hundreds of thousands of birds. Now, so like, yeah, which, which yeah. environment and which habitat are we talking about? And yeah. it seems like the sticker says save the whales, but it really means, you know, save our macro economy. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. So, I mean, if you think about wind turbines, Besides their, you know, homicidal tendencies, there's also the fact that they're made of non-recyclable materials. So <laughs> when you when you take the blades down, you just have to dump them. You can't do anything with the blades. What are they made of? What is that? Um, there, I, I think it's a, it's a certain kind of fiberglass. So right. Well, see, I mean, that would make sense if you want yeah. to continue making money on something. You can't. You can't just reuse it or have it last you know? <laughs> right right yeah yeah you can't you can't i mean you know let, let's go through the wind turbines and then i want to praise henry ford by contrast it so you can't recycle them they're made out of materials that rely on the existence and the extraction of fossil fuels <laughs> they're serviced by vehicles and that have to burn fossil fuels to get to them and service them there are some estimates that, that wind energy now composes about 8% of uh, the total American energy market. That may or may not be true. I don't know. I'm not a good judge of that. But what you can see is that there is something about them that is kind of fundamentally a boondoggle. So the casino strikes again here because wind turbines took off, especially under the Obama administration, with government subsidies, as solar energy also did. And there's a very similar pattern in Germany as well, which is much farther along the road to enormous percentages of their energy being provided by France, wind and solar. In France, selling them nuclear power that they have. (laughs) I don't know if you've done the comparison on France and Germany. There there is a study in two opposite approaches to this, and France has got all nuclear. Yeah. And and it's really interesting because they're not going to have the same problems Germany and the U.S. will. Right. 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 And so the other that that's one more facet of this is that because wind energy is dependent on fossil fuel sources for its existence, for its physical existence, not for its energy production, but for its existence, it's not really in that sense renewable. If you want something that is a fossil fuel that is renewable, you would simply build nuclear power plants. And there's information about the time period where we stopped doing that and the nature of what almost happened but didn't happen at Three Mile Island. Hmm. As there are a lot of things about the Jimmy Carter administration that I have recently Hmm. been revisiting, and I'm not really ready to talk about that yet, but I do think that there is a significant amount about the production of energy, especially nuclear energy, that really is not widely known or people don't even think of it. It's not brought up. It's just presumed that it's evil and wrong. And when anything goes wrong with nuclear energy, people know about it. But I find that a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about today, including the homicidal tendencies of wind turbines, nobody knows about. Hmm. Nobody has ever heard of. So it's wind turbines to me are a really great example of how we manage nature 
in this country where we make it an opportunity for profit. And it doesn't have to actually be what it says it is. That is, it's not actually renewable because it's dependent on non-renewable energy sources to exist, but it is profitable because what happened both in Germany and beginning under the Obama administration in a big way and continuing through the Trump administration, to be honest, is that wind energy, any, any, any way to set up renewables is going to be a way to make money from government subsidies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you get it's this. It's like the new ca- military. Yeah, right. right. It, yeah, is. It's a, it is. It's the new military. Man, it's it's a, not a joke. You laugh. I really, I really like repeat it. It's like, I really wasn't trying to make a jest. It's, it's kind of. Well, happening? I think a lot of things are funny that aren't that aren't supposed to be a joke, you know, because I mean, military industrial complex doesn't really capture what happened. You'd have to say government industrial complex because right. the same processes and bidding and the reliance of corporations that are American that do still make actual things, not apps, they make actual things. Those are so reliant on the government that what you see in wind energy or solar energy is simply an extension of the same principles that govern the production of tanks or the provision of civilian contractors of all kinds, uh, including private military contractors to the mm-hmm. U.S. government. Mm-hmm. All of our, our private industries really live off the government, and it's really no different with wind energy. And one of the reasons that Illinois has so many proportional to let's say other Midwestern states. I mean, Indiana has them too, but not nearly so many as you drive across Indiana is partly because Illinois is run by the our, our nascent one-party government. Yeah, Illinois is Delaware's hand, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's really yeah. what it is. But it's not because Illinois is like intrinsically windier, let's say, than Indiana or Missouri or Iowa necessarily. No, but it's windier it's, than Delaware. And, and you can't let the skyline in Delaware get all mucked up by this stuff. And so you got to have those plebes out south of Chicago do it, man. <laughs> That's true. But I would say it's it's also because the government industrial complex is generally more advanced. Not different, but more advanced than the government industrial complex in generally Republican-run states, which like Indiana, for instance, reliably is. Well, I think it's because the Republican agenda is usually to not build up government, but to decrease it. So you can't have more developed government where you're working to make it right. less developed, right? Right. Uh, right, and to spread it out. And so, you know, it is, it's tyranny versus liberty in some sort of yin-yang fight. And I'm not sure we're here to decide which one gets to win, right? Uh, but but well, we def- I, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, th- I, think, I think the issue here is that the way Republicans govern, which is generally in obeisance to the Chamber of Commerce, will hmm. eventually lead to their state's government being governed by the Democrat Uniparty. Right. I mean, Illinois, right. California, these were all reliably Republican states at one time. Well, we could push back to last week's conversation yeah. a little bit about the Republic being a utopia. And so, like, here we are with this grand story about how there won't be kings. It's an amazing story. There's not going to be anybody. No one's in charge. You're all in charge, right? And it's just like how long you want to believe that. And then if yeah. you don't, you know, it doesn't mean you have to go to divine right of kings, but it certainly means that hierarchy is built into stuff. Um, coming back then, I think that actually ties to the wind issue. Yeah, and I think it does. to me, wanting well, – there may be more than one way then too because I'd be surprised if I'm thinking what you're thinking, but maybe I am. Um, but the the pursuit of wind energy seems to me to be a belief in the pursuit of – non-exchange so we think we're going to get something for nothing Mm -hmm. and that's really the myth the real myth someday we're going to get something for nothing and and then i just got you know can you catch the wind um you know jesus i think it was the one who said uh yeah you you hear it uh, but you can't see it you don't know where it's going where it's coming from can't do nothing about it either (laughs) and and i think that applies across the board to what he was talking about narrowly for christianity but also even to this kind of cosmic reality yeah, it's it's a game of lies, and the wind turbines look real nice and don't provide anything. That it's optics. Yeah, I think I think that is definitely the tr- definitely the case where you have a vast country like the United States with a vast not just extent but population, and that population is incredibly different from each other in all kinds of ways. You're not going to have agreement over what should happen, and it's not it's not really possible to do sort of big projects or total shifts in how life is organized 
without enormous dissension. A contrast here would be the beginnings of hydroelectric power in Canada, which, which is bigger than us physically, but demographically is way smaller, maybe a, a tenth of the size today. Right, right. And that is a case where the population can agree that like the West is going to help the East power itself, Western Canada powering right, right, Eastern right. Canada, and something is supposed to be given in return. However, even in that case with a much smaller and much more homogeneous population, Canada being much more kind of Britain transplanted to the North American continent than, than we are. Speaking even in French. that case, yeah, well, okay. They're, they're <laughs> I, 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 just, I shouldn't have thrown you off, I'm sorry. Everybody else, but Can't the issue myself. here is that it still creates enormous resentment because Western Canada knows that in some sense it is used by Eastern Canada, that huh. Eastern Canada couldn't exist without it, huh. and yet is much, much, much richer historically until the discovery of oil. Wow. Do they, have, they, have, they, got, they don't have 13 like territories out there in the Western Canada. They only got like four, but they could, they could pull it off, right? Yeah, but the dynamics are in many ways similar. And, and part of that is that the Prairie Provinces are actually settled to some extent by Americans. So um, and you're saying similar to, to America's layout right now. As similar to, I was, I was similar drawing to between America's this. layout. But I, what I'm saying is that a lot of the discussion around, quote, the environment is in a subterranean way, actually about power balances between places that have more of what we would say in a really sterile way, the environment and places that don't. They've okay. lost it all. They ate it all. Yeah. So what what's what's going on in a fundamental way is that wealthy people who live in places where nature is largely obliterated. I'm not saying there are no trees there, but the idea of wilderness yeah, the, the or nature East. is gone. OK, um, they get to tell people who live in the midst of trees and Alberta oil sands and windy, grassy places, they get to tell them how their homes are going to look and what they should do with things like coyotes or wolves right, or something right, like that. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. So it ends up really impacting you. But I was just telling my son yesterday, we, we live in Northern Illinois yeah. um, and we're in a county area. So it's, it's kind of open. There's definitely coyotes. And I was talking about why we are firearm Second Amendment people. And, you know, aiming and, and things like that. You know, what mm -hmm. do you shoot? Shoot to shoot to kill. You shoot to yeah. stop the attack. Why, son? Why? Who are we aiming at? Who's going to someday? Who would have to worry about? And I didn't say the people down in Rockford. I said the wolves, son. Because by the time you're done, you might have to worry about that in this neighborhood. Honestly and honest <laughs> to goodness. You know, yeah. you go up into Canada and it's like that. You get you get far enough away from where the bourgeois are able to, to control and, you know, they'll tell you, you can't shoot wolves. They're endangered and they're in your neighborhood, right? Yeah. I'm not saying that's here yet, but frankly, it's a good reason to have a firearm. I'll leave it at yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, so I think that um, it, this doesn't, this doesn't have to be antagonistic. A, a good historical counterexample to this antagonism between regions and everyone agreeing in one place, we should just kill this entire species versus everyone in another place saying, no, they, they all need to live and prosper is one of the fundamental characters in the history of American conservation, which is Teddy Roosevelt, who mm -hmm. is from Manhattan <laughs> uh, and very much elite, so elite that his father bought a substitute, a poor man to send to the Civil War instead of having to go himself. He felt guilty about it his whole life, but... <laughs> yeah, Roosevelt Roosevelt felt, certainly felt guilty and volunteered for several other things. Other wars, right. Probably because of that. Got his but son killed, of, too. Yeah, but one of the things that's different about Roosevelt is that he has personal acquaintance with the people who live in wild places yeah. like Maine originally, and then after that, later on, the Dakotas. And this drives both a love and a desire to preserve those places, which is, which is easily possible hmm. with the population density that America has. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. so... Uh, there is no opposition in the early American conservation movement, also with people like Madison Grant uh, and some of the other founders of the Museum of Natural History in Manhattan. There's no, there is no hostility between human populations and preservation of nature. There does not have to be. Right. 
It doesn't mean, however, that if you live in suburban Minneapolis, you should have to one day worry about whether or not wolves are going to return to the area. Or if you're a rancher, you, you, everything you do gets regulated by the federal government far, 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 far away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, but, but that is where we are. So mm-hmm. I guess my immediate question is, what good does it do to imagine there could be a different thing? I, you know, it's great. Teddy Roosevelt is a nice nostalgic piece for a lot of people in a lot of ways. I think I think seeing that he built into the federal government in his time as in his time as president, as much of an underlying um, national park system uh, mm-hmm. to preserve things as say yeah. Jimmy Carter has done whatever he's done. So that's great. Thanks be to to God for for Roosevelt. But then where we are today is is where we are today. Yeah. Um, we're not yeah. a place where we could be doing it differently. Even if you can say, even if 80% of Americans right now actually could agree with what you're saying mm-hmm. and we're like, let's yeah. work on it. Yeah. There's no path to that, especially because let's say we invented, let's say you invented the technology to make it happen. Yeah. It'd get bought, it'd get patented, it'd get buried. It'd get bought, it'd get patented, it'd get buried to keep the current complex like you're talking about, this government tentacle thing that is own mind stretching across the country in order to keep that going. This has already happened historically, right? The patent offices are used to bury things as much as to create things. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's invented something well knows that. So, you know, what do we do, right? Last, yeah. last week we started talking about hope. I, I think from my end, I, I don't know where you want to go, um, but, well, maybe I do because it's in your next point. We've got to stop denying nature is what it is and start trying to work with it as it is. And maybe that realize, means realizing we can't use quite a, as much electricity as we do, you know? Uh, and that's going to be an individual reality to some extent but at some point they're going to cut it off too yeah okay i mean i i think that one of the ways to understand how we could begin to reconstruct a different way of looking at things and thus a different way of doing things is to start using the term nature instead of letting discussions of animals and human health and covid measures and everything fragment along very different lines of environment healthcare, science All of these things mean the more that the information and the knowledge is fragmented, Mm -hmm. the more that I'm I'm an environmentalist. So I don't care what I'm told to do if I live in my own home and I have to wear two masks there. I'm an environmentalist. So what all I care about is wolves or I'm into public science and I want to public health and I and I want to, you know, make sure that people can still live in cities or something. I don't care what happens out there. What's going on is that things that really do affect the public are lost in really arcane discussions or comment sections on proposed rule changes by the Environmental Protection Agency. And it all seems very arcane and obscure. And I think that the reason it does, or the reason that our discussion of public health centers around measures that tell you where you can go and what you have to do before you get on an airplane and and don't discuss at all like obesity. The reason that is, is because the the concept of nature, this is the nature of a wolf. This is the nature of a human being. This is the nature of having a population at this density on this kind of land. We don't talk that way. And so all of these things seem wildly inaccessible (laughs) and arcane and foreign. And so you get people who, for instance, live in the West and know how many wolves really can be sustained here with the kind of herds that they're raising there, okay? For now. But, but their, their capacity to comment on that or affect anything about that mm-hmm. is very minimal and probably confined to one specific federal agency. You know, if you don't know anything about the, about the Bureau of Land Management, you really should find out some, something about it because of how much they control in the U.S. Hmm. But when those people with those grievances that are very locally specific and observable about how things actually work, revolt against those grievances, about those grievances and, and against those regulations, it gets framed as, wait for it, domestic terrorism. Yeah, well, that's right now. And that's right? the yeah. Bundys. That's yeah. the Bundys. So understand that it's not like the system works vastly differently in every realm of life. They're probably what they're doing to you right now with, say, COVID is something they probably have been doing to somebody else for 30 years regarding land use or guns or something. Right. That wasn't your niche interest. So you had no idea how these things work. Right. Right. Keep going. 
And so what, one of the ways that I would like to begin to unite how we think about life, public life, so that we can speak politically, is to talk about nature. Because that's a claim that is a very, very strong claim. You're basically saying not, okay, this is subject to this regulation, and this is subject to that regulation, and you have to have a PhD in this subject to talk about this thing, put it in your Twitter bio. You say instead, I can observe from life what wolves are. I can observe from life what a female is. <laughs> I can observe from life what is good for a five-year-old child to spend his time doing. If you're not allowed to even make those observations in your own mind, let alone talk about them publicly, of course you will remain in your land and your children as, in as much as you're handing them over to the system to be educated, for example, that will of course remain controlled. And that's what I think a lot of what has happened in the past 12 months is actually about, it's not about masks forever. It is about the right to put a mask on you whenever they want to. Mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the actual issue. Right. In the same sense that it's not really about a specific population of wolves living in a certain part of Montana. The person who's in control of that probably doesn't fundamentally care and probably doesn't live there. And if he does, he could move somewhere else when he gets a promotion and gets bumped up the government pay scale. The issue is really about control. Our system is built around control and they will make gestures towards certain things. There's a very, there's a, there's a video, I want to say it was BBC, it was certainly a British news broadcast somebody that's on our discord channel will find it and put me to shame like they always do they, they're just better at the internet than i am they they have they have time you're reading <laughs> so that they can listen to you later and so they're doing this so you don't have to it works out there we go it's called but, being a body um, it's called being a body but, it works that way <laughs> but um the uh the broadcast is about the isle of man which is off the coast of england scotland mm -hmm. you know the major british isle and the Isle of Man had some kind of like draconian lockdown all the way through January 2021 and is now completely open in the island. The island is cut off from the rest of the world. From everything currently. else. Huh. Okay. So I feel like there's like a lot of scotch that comes from man. I feel like it's a, I know that island for some other reason. Anyway, so that'll be interesting <laughs> if the scotch prices go up or something. Right? Yeah, As a there result you go. Of this. Anyway, go ahead. But one, one of the things that they, one of the things that they don't want you to kind of like think about is, okay. Now that they're totally open and they show you these pictures of like kids in an exercise class in school, nobody's wearing masks. Like mm. it looks like normal life, right? And people are hugging each other in public and they're shaking hands and all this stuff that people are now too weird to do, right? They show you all this. They don't tell you like, where did this footage come from? Okay. And uh, then at the end of the report, they show you the reporter standing on a bridge and I think like Liverpool like, and I guess you can see the Isle of Man, but you're not allowed to go there. And we can't get that close. We can't have these things right now. Right. right? You just have to see it way over yeah, there. Yeah. The issue is not about mask sales forever. Right. I mean, I'm sure like mask manufacturers will are becoming part of the government industrial complex. Yeah. It's going to remain an option. That's how they do this. Right. They don't suspend habeas corpus in the Civil War and then keep it suspended forever. They just reserve the right to do it anytime after this. Right. Right. And that's precedent. what Yeah. Ju precedent. Judicial precedent. Even. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. It's that's the way right. the whole system works to the very <laughs> priests at the top. But I'm I what I'm saying is that one way that they kind of maintain this control is by continually fragmenting how power is exercised. So only people from the West generally will know about things like federal land use policy. I mean, I mean, just by virtue of living, I'm not saying like take a geeky interest in it or they'll know about, you know, how Indian reservations are managed or what life is like on an Indian reservation. Most people in most of America have no concept of either of those things. And so the, the fragmentation of discussion is I think one of the fundamental problems and we can't leave political discussion either on a local all the way up to a federal level, just in the hands of either people who are paid to care about it, bureaucrats, or people like myself who do arcane research on things like this. Arcane indeed. Yeah. And so I think the discussion of talking about both human health 
and wolves and wind and energy as discussions about nature and what its limits are is much more profitable than talking about environment and public health and healthcare and all these fragmented yeah. and this is terms. this is the the pragmatic result of of our platonic discussion last week right so that yeah. when you're talking about nature you're talking about the essence of a thing the thing that right. does not change the thing that is there behind what is seen no matter what uh, that what is seen is not all that there is which is a real direct counter to empiricism emp not imp empiricism which is a major running thought in our obedience training right is that there is only what is yeah. seen yeah yeah, um, yeah. which again that that doesn't count when you're talking about if a person is a boy or a girl at birth anymore, but mm-hmm. see, that's a very special situation. Normally though, everything runs on what is seen and then it's what we tell you to believe that is unseen. So this is where I'm going to kind of try to tie that together with my own conclusion a little bit. Recently, I've used the word myth a lot or mythos in a lot of different conversations. And I've had people listen to me kind of say, well, you know, it seems like you're using that very broadly. And yes, I am. I have more or less come to the conclusion that every piece of information I get is a myth. Every single one, every phrase I get from anyone, anywhere, I, it's, it's a story someone's telling. The question is, how reliable is my witness? And increasingly, if I don't know you face to face, you ain't a reliable witness. That goes for reporters. <laughs> that goes for presidents, right? You, I got yeah. to shake my hand. You want me to trust you? And then, uh, you know, as a Christian, my scriptures, of course, are, are a big part of, of this. Like, that's the stability in the storm. But the idea of this constant storytelling and what you got to do where you are is push back against the stories just challenge yeah. the story to be real like everyone says well this 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 that that you better do this really yeah. like just just be the one who asked the question for a little while and see what happens <laughs> you know, test the myth a lot of these things yeah. are such fat lies which okay so how about you tell me elucidate me a little bit on i said i wouldn't bring this up but i'm gonna but not directly i'll bring up the other one At, i don't know about atrazine I know yeah. nothing about atrazine. And you, yeah. you mentioned Illinois. I want to know what the California numbers in atrazine are. Have you done any studies on California atrazine and its impact on women's fertility? Yeah. So uh, all you have to do if you're listening to this is Google, I'm sorry, DuckDuckGo. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Yandex, Yandex, uh, atrazine, uh, A-T-R-A-Z-I-N-E, map. And that's really helpful because what you can see there is that it's most prevalent. It's, it's, it's an herbicide. And it's included in a lot of genetically modified crops at this point, as well as being sprayed historically. And so anywhere, so I would say it's probably more likely to be much more prevalent. I don't have a map in front of me as I say this. Oh, look at that much more Probably much more prevalent in like the Central Valley of California than it would be in like San Diego. You know, they don't even really have it on the map I'm looking at here. This is 2011. It's pretty mm -hmm. low in California at all, which is a bit surprising. It certainly is centered in the Rust Belt. I mean... Yeah, and th- and that has to do with the dominance probably of corn and soybeans in the Midwest, as opposed to like the produce that's often grown like in California's Central Valley at this point. So that's that could be one example. And does it have nothing to do with say like bed bugs and uh, other pesticide uses for uh, things like that? You know, I don't know. I mean, it just uh, no, seems like on no. the map it goes through the cities without yeah. question. Like all the cities yeah. are definitely getting it. But that's the water supply then, right? So that's this is the runoff. water supply. That's the water supply. It's because Midwestern cities suffer from midwestern runoff got it and what i what i think is strange about atrazine is that generally nobody knows that it exists and it it has effects both in animals and in humans on reproductive health so what should be natural that a woman is generally speaking able to give birth to whatever number based on her body's rhythms of healthy children in her lifetime is going to be reduced by something like atrazine, which in both France and in Illinois specifically studies have shown either that it deregulates natural rhythms and so makes pregnancy more difficult to achieve or that it affects the actual size, specifically head size in France of newborns where the mother had significant levels of atrazine in the drinking water. Hmm. And that that's sourced from a, 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 a summary of research that I found from Oregon State University, which is one of the land grant institutions like Illinois or Penn State or something. So those institutions really have no interest in telling me that things are worse than they really are agriculturally. <laughs> So that's one way that I, I don't know, independently fact check. Well, but what you're saying things. is like, like no one is incentivized to cut off their own funding. 
And no. that's, that's the nature of, I wrote this down way longer, that's, that's the nature of vested, interested bureaus of control. Right. They, they do not have any desire to cut off their own funding, so any research that they do is going to support their continued existence, whatever that right. might be. Right. So, okay, so atrazine. So, so where else do you want to go with that, though? So now we know that there's this scientific chemical that's impacting a lot of Americans that no one wants to talk about. Yay, one more problem. You know, let's let's go jump on the fire with Denethor and watch it burn around us. I mean, what? Well, where do we well, go from that? Yeah, so I mean, it's it's one of the it's one of these things that in your in your life this should cause you not to like descend into paranoia because the thing about paranoia paranoia is actually helpful to your overlords because it paralyzes you. Correct. Yeah. So you don't want to descend into paranoia, even if it could be logically justified. What you want to do is take steps, for instance, to filter your drinking water or to rely on other sources, maybe a well, independent of well, that, city water, if you That can. was one of my questions. Though. Okay, so I'm surrounded by farmland, but we do have a well. And yeah. we use Culligan, which Culligan, man, go get it. Man, that's great water. I know they, <laughs> they filter our well for us. It's fantastic. And, you know, 60 yeah. bucks a month is a water bill. Okay, fine. What I want to know is, I, I got to call my colleague and ask, is like, is atrazine being pulled out of this? I know the fluoride's getting pulled out of it, but I don't know about, you know, if people don't know about atrazine, does Culligan even care, right? And that's right. another issue. Uh, right, right, right. And and the issue here is a lot of times because we grew up trusting what we were told and thought we were living in basically a functional place, we feel weird demanding new filtering or new whatever, or making a demand that no one's ever heard of before. One of the things that I think is attitudinally has to change for anybody listening to this podcast is that you have to just become unashamed about making especially collective demands. So if you're a homeschooler and you think that's ever going to be threatened, which anywhere you live, it's going to be threatened, mm. even if it's not, you need to organize collectively and begin to make political demands. Don't be ashamed. There are entire groups in this country that either just ignore rules or have rules made around them or sometimes made for them. Even you know what's really case, key to that, yeah. that they always have is like a religion that yep. says they got to do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and just so you all know, Christianity gets you out of most of the problems right now if you want to take it seriously. You got to read the Proverbs and find out that there's some things that are different than Americana. But you can, you can Yeah. You could make yeah. the claim. I was I, I gave this to someone else recently, just just straight up on the vaccines, right? Like someone's at work and they're asking the question of my employer is telling me I don't have to take the vaccine, but I should. And they're making yeah. me feel bad. I said, yeah. tell them it's against your religion. Even if other Christians disagree. Yep. yep. Do it. Yep. It's against your religion. Yeah. If you're at work, that's what you say. You walk on. Right. And that's your right as, a, as an American. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the reason behind that and the reason to care about religious liberty as a political talking point is simply because it can stand in for so many other things that you want to do mm -hmm. and that you need to do for your family, for your health, for whatever. And it has a much more robust set of protections around it than some things that have no protection, which, for instance, you want to do what you want with your herd and you live in the West, you don't have the same protections. So you want to build legally and kind of morally your case. You can source it out of religious liberty. That's more. That's going to be more robust. You're automatically sure. a group. Yeah, exactly. Even if you're again, you're with your boss in an office. He doesn't know nothing about your religion. You only he knows what you tell him. The, so, yeah. the moment you say this is my religion, you're a group. Yeah, you're a group, and he's alone. And right. all you got to do is recognize this and the stench of God goes a long way against those who are not hardened, practiced, skeptical atheists. So like 95% yeah. of the population that's agnostic yeah. instead of atheist, when you are like my God and this and you should watch out, they, yeah. they might not believe you, but you smell bad now. Like you got space. They give you space. And so you're like, hey, I want my own cubicle. You know, I, I, I think what is unfortunate about our group specifically, Missouri Synod Lutherans, is that we tend to we when we were like this, that is stubbornly a collective. We did behave these ways. We we didn't need to as much or as often as we will in the future legally, but we did. And unfortunately, now we kind of make fun of those people. Yep, we do. For, for saying, you know, oh, look at them. Look at those stupid people not having health insurance. Well, they they wanted to take care of each other. So they didn't want to be like everybody else. Or 
they wanted to, you know, have wholesome marriages. So they had to forbid social dancing. You can agree with it or not, but don't make fun of it. Because the goal there, even if they were misguided on this or that issue, you think in your great modern wisdom, the goal was to preserve and extend the group. Mm -hmm. And if that's not your goal today, you're listening to the wrong podcast. (laughs) Well, uh, you're in the wrong group whatever group you're in. <laughs> yeah, that's probably right? true. You don't, you yeah. don't realize right. you're in the herd fit to be slaughtered, uh, frankly. Right. <laughs> you're just being lined up. Um, yeah. I remember hearing it at the seminary uh, when it was kind of scoffed at that the Missouri Senate didn't come out of German until the 40s, you know, between yeah. World War I and World War II, leading up yeah. to the 40s. And it was kind of like, ha-ha, we were so late to the game. And at, right at that moment, I wasn't very vested to even ask this question, but right at that moment yeah. I thought, that's interesting. Why do we assume it was good we came out? right yeah because because we're not really united now you know it wasn't like it made us work better together so i don't know there's a (laughs) lot of other factors you you said a moment ago the thing about the missouri synod yeah good luck with that single thing (laughs) um but you know pushing back a little onto the um you know let's go with pharmaceutical impact on your health that you cannot avoid so again, yeah. in the water supply, yeah. uh, you're yeah. getting, I, I remember seeing this, this is, you can find the, um, it's called the Masterclass on Water, the Model Health Show, uh, Sean Stevenson, Masterclass on Water. Uh, we'll talk about levels of Tylenol that are in your drinking water if you go, if you live in a city. Like you're just drinking Tylenol when you drink drinking water. Yeah, right, right, right. Like it's right. just there. Yeah. Acetaminophen all day, every day. Yeah. You know, unless you're purifying it in some way. Right. Um, that's bigger than just like, I need to buy a Brita. <laughs> that's made by Clorox, who puts the chlorine in, and all Brita takes out is the chlorine, which is interesting. They sell you, they put it in to sell you yeah. that in taxes, and they sell yeah. you the way to take it out. But uh, it's bigger than that. Big Pharma as a something which <laughs> has its tentacles hitting all of our industries, all of our lives, unavoidably. Yeah. How do you begin yeah. to talk about it without offending every doctor, every nurse, uh, everybody who's given their life to healthcare? Uh, yeah. Which and, and rightly so, right? I mean, hospitals come from Christianity. I'm sorry, but they do. And then, yeah. like, like this is good, and yet it's become an. Uh, if we don't want to call it an idol, we don't have to. But it's become a spirituality, a religious beast yeah. that will not broker debate. And even Eric Weinstein has to admit it these days. It would seem. A basic philosophical difference here between what we're saying and the way that our system works, where you can always solve a problem, but it's going to cost you and somebody's going to get richer as a result of that problem even existing, is that we accept the notion of limits in everything because nature everywhere pushes upon you the idea that there are limits. There are limits to what your body can do. If you got healthier, the limits would change, but there would still be limits. There are limits to what wolves are allowed to do within a certain distance of human settlement. And if they transgress those limits, there are consequences for the wolves. The wolves can do whatever they want farther away from us. The notion that there are limits in life and those limits involve both what you can, how far you can push something. That is how far, for instance, can I extend human life medically? There are also limits to what I can do without fundamentally destroying something that otherwise would work well. For instance, in the case of puberty blockers in an otherwise healthy girl or boy who is supposed to turn into the opposite now. And so the, the reason that corporate America is going to go along with things that are highly unnatural, like making six-year-olds wear masks or turning six-year-old boys into six-year-old girls, the reason they're going to go along with that is not only because they will make money. My, my overarching critique of how we live is not just a cynical, oh, they're just in it for the money. I think there is something ideologically, philosophically, theologically evil about the idea, which is behind how we organize life, that if you can find a way, there are no limits. That is actually a satanic lie. Right, limits right. are wholesome. And the idea that there are not limits is going to change healthcare from, well, let's have a doctor who lives in every little place and goes and visits people and knows them into let's have enormous medical systems that are the medical equivalent of defense contractors, and they'll just get bigger and bigger and bigger forever. And no matter what's wrong with you, we have a quick fix solution that's going to cost you and your insurance company. Yeah. And leave giant concrete footprints where they, where they, you know, in their <laughs> right. wake, uh, right. where they can no longer be. 
So right. I'll just go ahead and say that I'm still not unconvinced there isn't a giant sex death cult at the top of this whole thing on a global scale, managed by those greatest elites who man, you know, the, the people who would talk to a CCP member, uh, uh, you know, in Mandarin while claiming to be Jewish and living there and also being a New, a New Yorker who's connected to American government. Whatever that meant, you were the one who shared <laughs> that video with me, right? Those people, whoever they are, yeah. Yeah. Um, they're on Epstein's Island. And they want as many young boys malleable and uh, what's the word that you groomed groomed, I believe is the old word uh, as possible. And if you haven't looked into Al Kinsey and his impact on American education all the way across the board with the grooming thing, um, sex education is grooming. I mean, it is. It has been since it was introduced. So you're on to something there. I want to know more about uh, puberty blockers in the water right now. What's in the water that is a puberty blocker right now that you know of? Well, is is that one you mentioned before? The Azure? No, in. Atrazine? No. In the water, you would actually you actually have too much estrogen as a result of flushing right. birth control. That's right. Um, and which is which is one possible reason that we have the observable, observably much earlier puberty onset, especially in girls mm-hmm. um, who are often entering puberty at you know eleven or something, whereas it used to be like fourteen. Okay. Um, yeah. Hundred years. So so that's the issue in the water. Puberty blockers have to do with a completely alien and evil notion that the way a person is born needs to be changed because biology is random and can be and should be changed. And I'm saying that the basic idea that, that puberty blockers and wind turbines are essentially the same move Yeah. where instead of asking what your limits should be, you invent a fake solution that you are going to claim and notice that they're they're just because they won't use the word nature or they won't talk about human nature or the nature of a man as different from the nature of a woman, which is both a biological and a psychological reality. Just because they don't use the word nature doesn't mean that they don't understand the power of that claim. Hmm. So the power of the claim is still made when, you know, we turn this boy into a girl and then we put the boy on camera and say, I became the girl I always wanted to be. You see, it's still a claim about nature. It's kind of like their claim about guns. They don't have a problem with guns. They have a problem with you having guns. It sounds like Pinocchio, not the guns. I mean, maybe that would make an interesting Pinocchio reboot, but Mm -hmm. more the wanting to be a different nature than you are and thinking that going off to Pleasure Island is the place where it's, it's all going to come true. Um, That masterclass on water with Sean Stevenson, the Model Health Show, also talks about estrogen in the water. I remember that. It talks about it especially in your bottle waters. And if you remember a while back, if you're a bottled water drinker, there was all this stuff about, I can't think of what the, the term is, but this particular chemical that now is not in any of the bottled water anymore. Or if you buy your permanent bottles, it won't be in that. But if you get your bottled EPAs. water, EPAs, yeah. right. So those are connected to estrogen as well as basically anything that's made of plastic and is see-through. That is the light is going to get to the water. Then yeah. because plastic photo degenerates, you're going to have plastic in the water no matter what you do. This will right. increase your estrogen levels. If you're a man drinking water your entire life or women, I mean, I guess it impacts the women too. But from what I understand about man's health, men's health, this will be things like the male breasts, right? Yeah, um, right. It'll be things like retaining water as fat. Um, and so feeling fat, um, you know, not that you don't have real fat, but it, it doesn't help. And then I don't know, uh, emotional inability to handle the anxieties of life and not just take it like a man. Well, that might yeah. have something to do with it too, honestly. And as a recovering, I hope I recover. Golly. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't drunk bottled water for three and a half, four years now. Again, we, we've tried really hard. Yeah. And I, again, I don't know if this Adderzine, whatever, that one's new to me. So you got me on that one, man. Isn't it? Um, isn't it it's the worst, isn't it? Every time you think you, uh, you got away, you know, the car is still chasing you. So yeah, I think uh, part of the reason to talk about this is because nature reveals that the mind and the body are not actually completely separate. We don't believe that the mind is just that somehow like a woman's mind just happens to randomly be inhabiting my physically male body. Right. I've been reading uh, Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for whatever it is. And it's, it's got some really good stuff in it. And then I remember my friend Aaron Wolf before he died mentioned how awful it was. And I, I think I know why too. So but the, the connection between your psychology and your body is something he's been driving at evolutionary yeah. from yeah. an evolutionary perspective. He's not wrong. The design is very evidently there. Your mind and your stomach are not separate things. The idea you're going to put your mind somewhere without your stomach is kind of crazy. But that's that's the whole point, right? Is yeah. that uh, to try to push all the way back to this thing, note I have from 
from you earlier, nature now, people don't use that term because they say science. Because they want science uh, yeah. and nature to be the same, but science is a French construct for the word knowledge. It's actually just the word knowledge. So what we really have is a Gnosticism still at work wanting to triumph over the present natural order, just like the Gnostics did before. We are living the, 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 the Greek uh, tragedy play because we refounded in the Reformation and like the world got it rather than Christianity out of Luther. I, I'm kind of convinced about that too. That's a, a pretty big brush, but um, <laughs> it's like we have to relive their entire oops, right? And we can't even yeah. see it. The ideas are still, they're just, ideas have consequences yeah. and we reinserted them and they're just replaying themselves. Right. And, 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 and you can you can see at the time of the Reformation, one of their arguments about something like clerical celibacy is that na- is that it is a denial of human nature. <laughs> and because they are denying human nature, they they cannot do that without grievous consequences. And that that to me is the tragedy of our time is that they will sell you freedom in the name of the rainbow flag, or they will sell you the idea that you can finally be mentally stable if you just become a different sex, or the idea that you will solve your environmental problems, even though you live in a city and are drinking bottled water every day, by putting up wind turbines in the hinterlands, that's going to fix the fact that you are the one who lives in a concrete jungle. So they sell you these things. They They don't show you nature. Because nature can't really be, if it is allowed, it cannot be controlled. If, if I just let my daughter be a girl, <laughs> then there is an element of, of control that I don't have. Mm. That even my wife does not have because she's a different girl from my wife. What I, I think a lot of the dysfunction in human life, and especially in our country, is really fundamentally about the denial of nature and not letting things grow according to their nature and be according to their nature, in which case I have less control over them. I mean, even in a garden, right? The idea of a garden is not that I have control over the plants. It's that I plant something and I try to foster it to become what it is. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me like backward engineer a lot of what you just said. There was so awesome though. So like freedom isn't free is the phrase we use, right? Freedom isn't free. Well, then what is freedom if it's not free you're telling me freedom means more control right because right. to, to make it free we have to have more control of it and so people are running around trying to have free lives that really just means trying to control everything you're not free at all yeah. and you're yeah. advocating that freedom would be letting nature eat you alive and being okay with it now I'm not saying go do that but that would be freedom that would be utter irrevocable freedom jump out of an airplane fall to your death freedom now maybe you don't <laughs> want that you can buy yeah. that freedom but, but let me just again suggest that it's less about the fall in your death it's like right this moment decide that no nah. yeah no nah, no nah, i'm just gonna do what i'm gonna do yeah. that'd be freedom you can't buy that you cannot yeah. buy it. the moment you buy you, it you have no. bought not it no you you can't and and let me let me just set up kind of two opposing pictures where we have about I, i've got about 10 minutes left and i and i think that this is kind of a poignant way to think about this because something that you notice when you drive across places or you live in places where there are wind turbines, which means that you're in the boondocks now and it's pretty flat. Thanks be to God. Yeah, right. Exactly. You guys stay in there. You get, you get billboards, these billboards I will see in large cities, Philadelphia, New York, Chicago, and I see them in the hinterlands. I never see them in the places that have upscale coffee shops and they are billboards to go serve in the U S military. And at least in the hinterlands, those billboards are going to, you, are, are accompanied by a, ge- a general patriotism, which is, I think, natural and commendable, not necessarily about how you feel about Vietnam, but about that you're an American and you like being an American. I think that there's something basically good if about that. If someone actually attacked us, we'd like to defend ourselves. Yeah, sure, exactly. Where I'm at. But what you are told is you're going to sign up to do that. And then you're going to be, if you're really uh, like a really athletic guy and you're really sharp and you're a good shot, maybe we'll put you in special forces. And then someday we're going to send you to Burkina Faso or somewhere in South America. And what's going to be understood back at home is that you are defending our freedom. Mm -hmm. This is fundamentally different from a billboard that would show you, hey, why don't you stay in little podunk USA and raise a family here and have a wife and some kids? And why don't you become the head trustee at your church? Yeah, make it a better place. 
nobody is telling you how free you are going to feel when you have your own land, a little piece of land and a family. They don't sell you that. They sell you sign up to be paid by us for the rest of your life or at least for the next 20 years until you can cash out that pension. And you can go to some hellhole and allegedly there defend grandma's freedom, even though grandma doesn't have freedom because she lives in a nursing home right. and you can only see her through the window. Right. And we got the new Indiana fishing guide yesterday. This sounds, uh, this again sounds too arcane, but right in that fishing guide, if you like to be outside and you like to fish and you want to find some brown trout this coming year, you also will find an advertisement to sign up to be in the U.S. Army. You cannot tell me that that is an accident. You also can't tell me that some mountain man in like 1838 who got mauled to death by a bear somewhere in Colorado wasn't in some sense living a freer That's life right. than someone who is a wage slave today and who somehow erroneously believes that he's free even though he can't see grandma and hasn't seen her for 13 Well, he months. thinks freedom equals safety too, right? So freedom, yeah. and nature equals science and freedom equals safety. This is our 1984 writ true uh, before us. Ah, I had something else I wanted to ask you and throw in there and now I've lost it. So if you can continue your thought, keep going. Yeah. So what's, what, what we're, what we're saying is that one, one way out of this web of lies about life is to begin to rebuild our own thinking. And then once we do our own thinking, we can do our own doing in every realm of life to rebuild our thinking really around different words. And this is what Confucius, when he talks about disorder in a state, says that the absolute first thing that must happen for a state to be governed rightly is what he calls the rectification of names. That is, when a state is evilly governed, when the people are oppressed and life is miserable, the basic root error there is that things are not and or cannot be called what they are. Yeah, lies. And that is precisely, and not not just that they will lie to you, but you will be forced to yeah, lie and you will know it as Babel. you do it. It's Babel, and I don't, you know, it's when Babel has gotten to the point of confusion that it's benefiting some, and so for them to retain their grammar, or to change the grammar, or to have a higher level grammar, I don't know, French over Germanic on the English Isle, you know, for them to be able to maintain control means to control their lie and call a thing differently than it is. And yeah. that can be everything from this piece of green paper is worth that thing that I have in my shop, right? Uh, all <laughs> yeah, the way right, to right. Uh, a boy is a pig, is a cow, is a dog, is a, is a, is a whatever. Um, yeah. you know, do what you're told because we're the high priests of knowledge and science. You brought up Confucius. So yeah. as I'm rethinking all of my principles, and I really have, I've gone to the, the root. And I, I, on Saturday morning after our, our chat um, last Tuesday, Saturday morning chill, I spent the week thinking on Plato more, and I just decided to reject him outright. I think he's completely wrong. We've got to go before Plato. And hence my, my, what I said a moment ago about how it, it wasn't just the Reformation, but the Enlightenment kind of accidentally reset the clock and ran Greek philosophy again, saying this is the answer, but we've just ended up with the same problem one more time, uh, which is a, a collapsing Roman Empire. Whereas Confucius seems to be the alternate model on the planet. And also our arch enemy, the great red CCP, with all their communists, but they're Confucianists too. And, and you brought them up. And so my question to you is, have you done a compare and contrast between Confucius and Plato? Like straight up. Where do they disagree? Where yeah. do they agree? Yeah. And I'm a, I'm, I am a big time supporter of uh, Platonism. So oh. here's why. Oh, interesting. Good. Uh, okay. Because, because Confucianism is only open to the divine, to theology in Western terms, as a way of authorizing a system. So what Confucius is trying to do, and is never really successful in doing in his lifetime, but he's trying, is to reinstate a certain way of life that has disappeared because of the, the greed and the lies of men. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, he is very similar to Plato's political situation that we talked about last week. Yeah, Plato is open to truth being accessible to non-elite people. That is, there is a role in Plato and thus not coincidentally in the West, in every Western society, for the little man to actually have something of his own. 
that's not really the case in Confucianism because what Confucianism is trying to just set back up is what is effectively a caste system, not only by birth, but also by age. And there are things about that that are very good. The respect that a son should have for a father, no matter who the father is. Well, I mean, what's the difference between a hierarchy and a caste system at the end of the day? Aside from like, we hate one and we hate other one too, I suppose now. Because a caste system, <laughs> a caste system is not erected. And, and we're, I mean, we live in a caste system. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think a you can avoid system, it. I don't think you can avoid it. That's the, my question. I, is I, I actually do. I, here's the difference. A caste system is not erected for the benefit of any of the lower castes. I see. So, so the, the caste is to the disadvantage. Slaves. A caste system is to the disadvantage of the commoner, and a hierarchy does not have to be. Is your distinction? I'm, a hierarchy I'm does not have to be, yeah. and actually, explicitly, like in Plato's Republic, the hierarchy exists for the benefit of everyone. It it may or may not be a natural hierarchy. It may be an aristocracy of birth or or merit. And Confucius or something, Confucius but... doesn't have you know the the lowest end of his spectrum as like its own form of utopian right that it's it ends up being good and that the, the emperor should rule so that all things are peaceable down to the the average man's little rice patty vine and fig tree it's and all not that. down to the average man's little rice patty the the vision of peace there is not a vision of peace that includes something that you get in all confucian societies which is a certain and people don't even know that this is the case like India is more like China and Japan historically than people realize. The Indians, we just know more about their untouchables. Yeah. But there are untouchables in all these societies. And the reason there are untouchables is because a caste system exists for the people higher up the food chain. Right. Have you ever seen Kundun? No. No? You might watch that one. You might. That's, okay. that's Scorsese on the Dalai Lama. And we should do an episode on Tibet and Dalai Lama at some point. Um, I mean, it's yeah. like it's like the alt pope, right? So <laughs> you need you need to touch on that a little bit. Kundun is uh, Scorsese uh, doing okay. Dalai Lama's history, and as a believer, it would seem um, kind of a last temptation of Christ believer, at least. Um, hmm. And it is. I'm curious about your take on Confucianism then, out of that, and particularly uh, how that 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 piece of art elevates caste as sort of the way we should go as a society, I think. And I think yeah, back, right. um, uh, so anyway, you might really, it's, it's, I know the kind of movies you'll watch now. And this one is special. <laughs> this, this one is really okay. a special film. It's, it's an art, okay. it's an art piece. Um, okay. and if you know Scorsese, you know, he didn't do anything kind of half halfway. Uh, right, so, right, right, so, right, right. Um, yeah, you said you had to run anything else. I think we've touched on most of the stuff that you threw me to talk about yeah. for sure. Uh, yeah. nature must have its own integrity from birds to your own physical physique to, you know, what water is, um, yeah. you want to close thoughts on that and then we'll, well the, we, and, 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 and we talked earlier in terms that are kind of get filed under, you know, environment tab in your browser. And then we talked about things that get filed under public health tab or believe science tab. The stuff that we've just been talking about is related in the sense that the insight about nature means that even the little man has his own and should be accorded his own politically, his own integrity. His life has its own integrity. His nature has its own nature. His children should not be enslaved or captured or thrown into the military and sent to Burkina Faso. So that understanding that birds and people, no matter how insignificant they seem to you, have their own integrity is, I think, would be at the root of a complete change in our politics at every mm -hmm. level if we begin finally to insist on these things instead of just complaining about the fact that no one, you know, isn't it crazy that they're trying to turn girls into boys? Yeah, it is. Why don't you advocate for something different? There is no such thing as a natural, clean system. For me to live, something must die. That's kind of how it works energy-wise. Yep. Uh, if you like Einstein, I mean, it's just kind of as far as he got us. If you like a brief history of power of two white guys, Dr. Adam Koontz, the voice of reason, uh, Pastor Jonathan Fist, the, the nut job who asks the crazy questions and believes in sex cults that run the world from islands in the middle of, I don't know, off of Delaware. Um, if you like the show and you want to get in touch with us more directly, the Mad Christian Discord is a place you can do it. We have a channel there dedicated to a brief history of power. You can find the Mad Christian Discord by sending a uh, contact through refist.com slash contact and you'll get pushed right in. We'll help you tell them what you want. You'll get right into the brief history of power channel. Uh, if you don't know Discord, it just means leave that channel open and you can like hear us talk to other people and eventually chime in yourself. It's like being on the inside and you can even do Dr. Kuntz's personal research work for him 
pro bono. <laughs> you know, he doesn't even have to ask. You'll be able to go do it and link things. And he loves that. I love that. We all love that over there. A brief history of power. With, uh, too fast. A brief history of power. Too white guys. We'll catch you guys next week. Got a topic next week, Doctor Coons? We're going to do education, and we will be talking about both Kinsey and uh, many, many such cases. Mm, Dewey, I hope. Yeah. Yep. Dewey. All right. Well, we'll we'll be back. <laughs>